Hello, church family. Thank you for joining us for another message from Res Life Holland. We hope this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus and empowers you to live the life God has for you. Now sit back and enjoy today's message. Have a seat. Look around. Let somebody know you're glad they're here today. Um, yeah, so yesterday uh, we went hiking and... Uh, my, my brother-in-law is about to turn 40, so he came to town, and then my in-laws came into town. Now, I love my wife, and I am so grateful that God brought me or her to me, but I have to acknowledge that, that much of the blessing that she is is because of her parents. And so I want to honor them. I have Larry and Patty sitting in the front row here. Glad that you guys are here today and uh, just wanted to take that moment. Um, so, we were out hiking. How many of you guys have noticed that the flowers are starting to come up? And I call it the loss of x-ray vision. The trees are starting to bud with their leaves. Like from, you, you drive by a place and, and it used to be you could look right through the woods and you could see all the way and you could see the contours of the land. The, the leaves are starting to fill up. Some of you guys may have neighbors who are about to disappear. You know, because the trees are filling it, filling it up. But there is, there is constant, there's change. And someone once said that if the presence of change is the only thing that doesn't change. Change happens all the time. God has put change into nature. God has put change into his interactions with us. Uh, when we get around Jesus, we change. Jesus loves us the way we are, but he loves us too much to leave us that way, and so he'll change us. The Bible talks about him changing us from death to life. Psalms 30, 11 says that he turned our wailing into dancing and removed our slack cloth and, and uh, clothed us in joy, sickness to health, despair to hope. There is constantly change taking place in our lives. And for a moment, I want us to look at our lives um, the way God does. He says that we are three parts. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you recognize that you are a spirit, you live in a body, and you have a soul. We are three parts. And it's interesting that those three parts don't all change at the same time, but God does promise that all three of them will change. So, 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us about our spirit. It says, Now therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. When you and I accepted God's forgiveness for sins, our spirit, man, was transformed. The Bible says that you were dead and you're made alive. The Bible says that there is a new creation in you. Now, that was your spirit. When you accepted Jesus Christ instantly, your spirit was transformed, renewed, and saved. Anybody notice you still have the same body? We do. We still have the same body, but not forever. 
The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 15.51, it says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. Put that over the nursery. They will not all sleep, but they will all be changed. Verse 52, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, it says imperishable, and we will be changed. The Bible describes that our bodies will be made imperishable. Some people refer to it as our glorified body. Do you remember how Jesus, when he rose from the dead, he had a body that, that he showed to the disciples. And when they thought he was just a ghost, he said, give me some food. I'll prove that I'm a real thing. And he told Thomas to touch his body, but he also walked through walls. That body that he had was his glorified body, imperishable. The Bible tells us we will be changed. When Adam sinned, his body fell under a curse. But God says, your body will be saved. So my spirit was saved. My body will be redeemed, changed, saved, whatever term you want to be used, use that. Your body is also scheduled for a major change. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 23 says that you put off concerning your former contact the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. I want to read that in the Amplified Version. It says that regarding your pre previous way of life, you put off your old self, completely discard your former nature, which is being corrupted through deceitful desires, and be continually renewed in the Spirit. Someone else said it's best translated, be being renewed. It's not just be renewed, but be being renewed. Be continually renewed in your mind, having a fresh, untarnished, mental, and spiritual attitude. My spirit was changed. My body will be changed. And my mind is to be consistently, constantly renewed and changing. The Bible says to renew your mind. But it doesn't say that in a sense of do it once and you're done. Like it said of our, our, our spirit. It says be being renewed, or as the other translation says, continually be renewed. What is our mind called to be? 1 John 4, 17 says this. It says, this is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Christ. That is the target. We as Christians are to grow in our Christ-likeness. You ever consider the word Christian? Just, I'm, I'm a Christian. What does that word mean? It starts with Christ. In Spanish, it's really easy because they just put ito at the end of a word, and it means a little that. If I have a cup, it's a vaso. If I have a little cup, it's a vasito. If I have, like, I can just about go with anything. A kid, is it? Niño and niñito. You just put ito at the end and it's a little one. But that's what Christ, a Christian is. It's, 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 it's a suffix that just means, oh, a little one of those. You and I are little Christs. We are called to be little Christs. Romans 8.37 says, 
No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. How many of you want to be more than conquerors? I do. Here's a question, though. To be a conqueror, another verse uses the term overcomer. Now, if I tell you that you are a conqueror, what does that mean? If I tell you you're a winner, what does that mean? What is the prerequisite to win? That there be a race or a competition. To be a conqueror, what is the prerequisite to conquer? That there be a battle. To be an overcomer, there had to be a challenge. John chapter 16, 33 says, I told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. Does anybody have that written up on their fridge, stuck to a magnet? Embroidered on a, on a towel in the kitchen. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus says, you're going to have challenges. You're going to have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. Then he says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Now, is that kind of like the whole, you know, hey, you have problems? Don't worry, I don't. I mean, is that what he meant? Was he just like rubbing it in our nose? In this world, you will have trouble. Don't worry, I don't. I've overcome. No, not at all. Why? Because he says we are to be like him. And that when he says, hey, I have overcome the world. He says, everything that is mine, I've given to you. So you will have, will you have trouble? Yes. You know, it, as, as a, a teacher, it can be challenging sometimes because when I focus on victory, somebody comes and says, well, I'm not winning, so, so why am I, you know, I haven't won yet, so am I doing it wrong? You know, when I talk about, about how God is, is making us more than conquerors, someone says, well, I'm in a battle, so am I doing it wrong? And I have to say, not necessarily. Jesus said, you will have trouble. But he says, when we have trouble, we should look to the fact that he has overcome, and that should give us, he says, take heart, for I have overcome the world. Because God has equipped us with what it takes to become like him. He would not say, be like me, and then snicker. I know they'll never be able to. Let's watch them try. No, he has, he has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. We are equipped by God to overcome the things that block us from being like Christ. So if you are afraid, God wants to equip you to overcome fear because Jesus has no fear. If you have anger, Jesus isn't going around punching walls and cussing out his family. He will equip you addictions. You see, every time we have a battle, our testimony grows. Romans 8, 29 says, for those he foreknew he predestined to be confirmed or conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
God says, look at life. For though God were all now, God every time I have to talk about it, because there is much. Though for death does say you poor new. If I send out an RSVP and 15 of you say you're coming to my house and I make dinner for 15 people, those I foreknew, I predestined a meal for. Or I invited everybody, I made only 15 meals, and that caused only 15 of you to show up. That would be those I predestined, I foreknew. We get that backwards sometimes. When God looks down and he says, the Bible says that he wills that all would come to a saving knowledge, but not all will. But he looks down and he says, he knows. It's different than causing, but he knows. So, he knows the situation that you're dealing with. Is it accurate then for us to say, well, nobody in my family ever succeeded in marriage. Nobody in my family ever succeeded in school. Nobody in my family ever prospered. Nobody, no, he knows. He knows what kind of situation you're in, but you are a part of a new family now. Our family in the natural, it's no longer an excuse for what we're come, becoming. Colossians chapter 3, 1 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. I'm going to read this from the English Standard Version. I like the, the, the wording it uses. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. It says, to set your heart on, seek. How many of you have ever noticed that seeking is in our nature? Anybody like to shop? If you don't, all right, if you like to shop, raise your hand, okay? Do you like to fish? Do you like to hunt? Do you like crossword puzzles? Do you like, what do all of those things have in common? We are seeking. What do we like? To, we, it is in our nature. Browsing the internet. Why in the world is browsing the internet so engaging? You know, you start looking for one thing and pretty soon you're watching dogs surfing. <laughs> what? Because it is in our nature to look and to find and to seek and to discover. And we love finding a sale. Finding, we went to the park the other day hiking, and people are wandering around in the bushes and whatever, and this guy comes out all excited. He found one morel mushroom. I don't know how long he had been looking for that thing, but he was excited. It is in our nature to seek. What is it that we are seeking? The Bible says that we are to seek the things that are above. How do I renew my mind? I seek. Now, to those of you who like hunting, in the New Living Translation, that same verse says, set your sights on the realities of heaven. To seek is to set your sights on, to pursue, to go after, to, to focus on. How do I renew my mind? I put my seeker on those things that are above on the character that I know Jesus had, on the outcomes that his promises describe for my life. Sometimes we as Christians have just stopped seeking. Are you seeking to grow, have joy and peace, or have you given up? Decide, eh, I'm close enough. I'm not as angry as I used to be. You know, instead of daily rage fits once a week, that's good. We're not to say I was always this way. There are a lot of things that were that don't need to be anymore. The Bible says you were 
born again. I was born this way isn't an excuse. Jesus empowers us to become a new person. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. If we renew our mind, we are to set our sights on things above. That means some things need to be removed. There are things in our mindset, in our thought processes, that we need to be intentional about weeding out. Places that we go, websites we visit, searches we do, bars we visit, locations. If God asked you to set your mind, then it must be possible. How many of you have ever seen a parent encouraging a toddler to do something that the parent knows they can do? You can do it. I don't know. I don't think I can. You can do it. I don't know. I don't think I can. The parents know that they can. And they say, all right, come on. You can do it. And it might just be, you know, jump, jump into my arms. I'm going to catch you. I don't know. It might be to, to, to try something. And, and the kids are so reticent because they can't imagine themselves succeeding. But we, as parents, know that they can. This is, and, and we're smarter than them. We, we understand more than they do. And we're there encouraging them. And, and if they were more articulate, they would say, but I don't dare to expect success. And what do we do as parents? We encourage them to go for it because we're there. I, I see that picture of Jesus speaking into our lives. He says, I dare you to set your sights on those things that are above. We are called as Christians to grow. You know, if we weren't, then our baptism services could look very different. Congratulations, you're saved. Blah, 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 blah. Ain't getting no better than this. How long do you hold them down? Until the bubbles stop. No. Of course not. When we're baptized, we come up, we're, we're acknowledging that our old nature, our spiritual nature, was crucified with Christ, died, and rose again, new and victorious. And we recognize, this is what happens to my spirit man. Now, and, and the day is coming when my physical body will be renewed, now I'm going to go out and I'm going to renew my mind. I'm going to set my sights on things that are above. The Bible says in Proverbs 23, 7, it says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. We talked about this last week, that our identity, and I'm going to go farther into this next week. I think I'll, I'm going to jump into a little bit of what I was saving for next week, and that is who we are, who our identity is. Is. Identity is a big part of, of what impacts us. They did a study where they put out uh, job descriptions and, and, and took a group of people and who knew, you know, all right, these are your qualifications. They said, now, go in here, apply for jobs. They're watching what they did. These people went through, they looked at the, the requirements and said, I fit that. And so they would apply. And so then they did another study and they, did the, they put the exact same job descriptions out there, but they raised the salaries said, we're going to pay more, and this is what we need you to do. You know what they found? Less people applied. The same people who applied for that very job when it was paying less, when they saw it paid more than what they thought they deserved, they didn't even bother. They could not imagine themselves being that successful. They didn't see themselves as being worthy of that 
salary, so they just assumed. Well, it, it, it may say the same thing, but surely it isn't the same thing. I'll just apply for what I'm comfortable with. I bet I can get that job. No way I can get that one. How we see ourselves is a very big deal. Satan, we can look at him as an identity theft, thief. This is, this is one of his goals. He wants to steal our identity. Figuring out who we are has been an issue. It, it's not a new thing. This isn't something we've only been just struggling with in the internet age or only since television. People have been struggling to understand who they are all the way back into the, the, the Bible. The first two people who were born struggled with identity. Cain and Abel, who am I? Does God accept me? Is what I'm doing enough? Looks like he accepts you more than me. First two people. Who defines who we are? In Judges, we have the story of Gideon. In verse 11, it says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Oprah, which belonged to Joash the Abyssalite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in a rind press in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. Now, I think I have shared this story here at church before, but if not, we're going to really go quick. He is threshing wheat in a wine press. That's kind of the equivalent of hanging your clothes out to dry in the basement. It's not ideal. What you want, a wine press has walls, it's enclosed. Threshing wheat, you want it to be done in an open space with lots of wind. But he's trying to hide from the Midianites what he's doing. So he's using, an, in an unideal situation, he's, he's hiding from the Midianites. If we read the chapter before, the Bible tells us, describes the situation, that the Israelites were in poverty, that the Midianites would come in and steal their stuff, and that they were really in a tight spot. And here he is, hiding out, threshing wheat in a wine press. And the angel comes and says, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. What does he answer? He answers the way many of us would. Gideon said to him, oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? <gasps> he said it. I mean, I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands. I think most of us have thought it. Man, if God is with me, why isn't, why do I have challenges? Why are there battles? Gideon responds and says, okay, so if, if the Lord is with me, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now, now he's not saying a truth, but he's saying his opinion. He says, but now the Lord has forsaken us, and he's delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. And then the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours. You shall save Israel from the hands of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So then Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least of my father's house. Gideon had an identity. What was his identity? His identity was, I am the weakling in the weakest family of weaklings in the entire nation. That's who I am. No wonder when that was his expectation of who he was. 
He wasn't about to apply for a job that paid well. Why? I don't deserve it. I don't expect victory. Why? Because my family, my circumstances, my situation is just here. And when God came and declared God's perspective on him, he fought it. He fought with God. He argued with God. I love that the Bible shows us that because, no need to raise your hands, but how many of us have done that? We've had that argument. God, no, I, I don't think that you can do all that with me because look at my situation, look at my family, look at my heritage, look at my education, look at my track record. Gideon's track record wasn't impressive at all. Verse 16, and the Lord said to him, surely I will be with you and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Notice that God didn't respond with a self-help seminar all you have to do is believe in yourself. It's all in there in you. God responded and said, surely I am with you. Surely I am with you. His claim was his track record. He said, my family, my history, my situation. And God's response was, don't forget who's on your side. He says, you are not in this alone. Recognize who is with you. We, we, there are so many things. Could I get a water? There are so many things that we can sometimes, thank you, we can sometimes allow to identify ourselves. Our education, how far we got in education, where we were educated or where we weren't, our race, our nationality, our family, our economic status, gender, our feelings and emotions, our desires. Well, I have felt this way, so therefore that is what I am. Today's culture says that your desires are your identity. I have a question for you. How many of you have ever wanted more money? The rest of you. What? If, if you have ever wanted money, how many of you have ever just considered, like thought, didn't do it, but like seen an opportunity to take money and thought, I wonder what it would be like to steal. If you were tempted ever in your life to steal, does that make you a robber? Are you a robber? I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands on this, but if any of you who are married have ever been tempted, just tempted to be unfaithful, seen an opportunity, and at least a part of you said, I can see some benefit if I was to take that path. And then you chose not to. Are you now to embrace the identity of an adulterer. Today's society tells people that if you are tempted by something, you should embrace that identity. They say to somebody, oh, if you were ever tempted by a same-sex relationship, that's who you are. You need to embrace that identity for the rest of your life. Do we do that with any other area? Do we say, you know what? I was tempted by something, therefore that is my identity. I had a desire, therefore that is my identity. No, we don't. I don't care if you're Irish and you say, you know what, I am very tempted to lose my temper on a regular basis and do things that I shouldn't do. We don't say, well, you know what, you're just prone to that, so you get a free pass. You can go beat people up whenever you feel like it. It's, it's a part of your identity. No. If, if that person is prone to a desire 
that is contrary to what God shows us is right, we say, you know what? This is, that does not have to define you. You do not have to embrace the, the temptation that you felt. Temptation does not define us. Our desires do not have to defi define us. We were created by God. He has given us the power. The Bible says that He will not tempt us beyond what we can bear, period. I don't, I don't have to wonder, is it possible to overcome temptation? It is. God will empower me to do so. Maybe you were told by someone in authority or influence in your life, maybe a teacher said, oh, you'll never become. Maybe an, an ex-girlfriend, boyfriend, spouse told you what they thought of you, and you've accepted that as your identity. Why should we allow their opinion to become the one that matters? And let me just speak to that rejection for a moment. Do you realize God, God, was rejected by Satan and a third of the angels? Simply because you have experienced rejection does not mean that that rejection is a badge of your value. Just because you have been rejected, that does not define you. The devil comes and says, well, you know what? <laughs> if you had what it takes, if you were worthy, worth then, so-and-so would never have rejected you. Baloney. And you know what else? Even if they have some pretty clear reasons, you can grow and change. You do not have to stay where you were. In fact, God calls you to be being renewed. We as Christians are to be growing and renewing our minds. The person that we were, the, the, the way that we behaved in the past should not remain static and be the way that we are today. Past experiences do not need to be what we define ourselves as. I do not want to speak or, or diminish anybody who has experienced something significant, who's been a victim of abuse or trauma, but I have good news. That does not have to be your identity. That does not have to be who you are. Your athleticism or lack thereof doesn't need to be your identity. Both will fail. You know, those who, whose identity is wrapped up in their athletic prowess, you know what I think of? I think of Napoleon Dynamite. How many ever saw that movie? Do you remember the uncle? The uncle who's living in high school because he was this athlete back then, and he's like, if only I hadn't blown out my knee, and if I just... You know, his identity was in his prowess, which was gone with an injury. And then others, look at their lack there. You realize all of those things are temporary. Then the person who was picked last, who identifies because of their lack of prowess, that isn't your identity. That's just something that happened. There is a higher definition than these. Our identity, our passport is not defined by what happened to us, by our skin, by our nationality, by but what God has said about us. Now, here's the thing. Why do God's words about us matter? I, I, want, I want to differentiate, as I close, I want to differentiate between wishful thinking and speaking and having faith, okay? I am not saying to call a wrench a flower. That's weird. That's ridiculous. 
What I'm saying is to call an acorn a tree. See, when we speak and we look at God's word, see, God's word isn't just anything. God's word is what created the world. The Bible says in Isaiah 55, 11, it says, so shall my word that goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please and it will prosper in the thing for which I sent it. That is what God says about his word. When I find a promise of God, when I find what God has spoken over my life, I am not calling a wrench a flower. God's word, his spoken word are like seeds. The power to fulfill is in God's word. When I stand on one of his promises, I'm not randomly just speaking something I just hope to happen. I am acknowledging and putting my faith in God's promises and recognizing that God's word carries within it the power to complete that which it has set out to do. When I look at God's promises and his speaking over my life, I'm not just randomly wishing for positive things. I am recognizing that God already planted seeds in my life. And the power to fulfill those is in there. And when I set my heart on them, it's like I'm watering those seeds. When I declare those things and I put my faith in God's promises, that is what is needed to cause those promises to grow and to come into fruition. It's interesting that even Jesus, when he spoke to the fig tree and said, die, the disciples didn't see anything. It wasn't until later they came by the next day and they said, wait a minute, I see now the effects of your word on this tree. God has spoken into and over our lives. His promises are our identity. It is not ridiculous. It is not mere wishful thinking for us to lay hold of his words and recognize that is who I am. That is what God desires for me, and that is my future. It's not ridiculous, because God's Word is the most powerful force in the universe. It's not just any old thing. We're going to close with that. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you. I thank you that you are our identity. Lord, we recognize that challenges will come, but you have made us overcomers. We recognize that battles are to be fought, but that you declare us to be victors. Lord, we thank you that you are with us. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We thank you that you are with us. I just pray that you will help each and every one of us to see ourselves as you see us, to see ourselves in light of your promises, not in light of our past not in light of our circumstances, not in light of our history. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here today and you know that your sins are forgiven and that you're right with God, I want to ask you to raise your hand. Awesome. The Bible says know that you have salvation. If you were here today, you noticed so many hands went up. But some of you may not know. You may say, I hope. Well, the Bible says no. 
know that you have salvation. How do you know? The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 9, and 10 that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus died on the cross and believe in your heart that he rose from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the sin that separates you from God. Your sin, your past, forgiven. And you can know that you're right with God, no longer separated by anything, ready to live life in communion with him, but also if and when you die, no separation. You will spend eternity in heaven with him. If you want that certainty, if you're watching and you want to know, with every eye closed just for a moment, I'm going to ask you, let me know that's you and just raise your hand. And we're going to pray that prayer. In case there's someone watching, let's just repeat that prayer together. Dear God, I believe that Jesus lived a sinless life but died to pay for my sin. I believe he rose from the dead victorious over death and the devil. I make you the Lord of my life. I accept your forgiveness. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. If that was you, we would love to hear from you. You can send us a private message. You can put a comment in the video that you're watching there. We want to get a gift to you. Um, we can do so by just sending you a link. So please let us know.